0: everybody doing? Everybody doing good? Isn't Jesus amazing? Ah, let's lift our hands. Jesus, we know that you are here. Jesus, I pray for genuine freedom in the lives of your people. Mental anguish, unforgiveness, hostility. I pray that that would be broken by your power and your power alone today. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful opportunity that we have to talk about you and your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you open up our heart, peel away anything in us, Lord God, that has not been sensitive to your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, today, uh, first of all, I want to I say, Pastor Mitch, I love you so much. I, um, I heard from him yesterday, uh, yesterday afternoon, and of course, he had to send a picture of where he was. He was on the beach saying, hey, this is my, my scene where I'm at right now, and I was like, thanks a lot, appreciate it. I'm sitting here studying the word. (laughs) But pastor, uh, first of all, I just wanna let you know, we have an amazing pastor. I I am so thankful for him. So let's give it up for our senior pastor, Mitch Wharton, and his lovely wife, Susan. We love you, we miss you. And whenever I get to preach in his stead, I count this as an honor. He is like a father figure to me. He is a mentor, and I love him dearly, dearly, dearly. So today, um, we're gonna be talking about a uh, subject that's kind of dear to my heart, and uh, and something that God is kind of working in me and through me constantly, all right? And should be working in all of us constantly. Um, And the title is, How to Be Free from Offense. How to Be Free from Offense. So, how many guys know we are under a huge attack of crazy drivers in the Triangle area? It's a spiritual I mean, I mean, honestly, Mir was talking about that. I mean, like I'm telling you, some crazy drivers out there. Um, Ariana is where's Ariana right there. <laughs> I picked her up from school with uh Avalyn, and she goes to wait, Chris, and I took her home. And she got to see another side of me, y'all. And uh, yeah. I I I, kept, I mean I I kept my, my cool and everything, but I had somebody pull out in front of me and uh I said, Bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So um how many of you guys know we have an opportunity every moment of the day to become offended? So maybe you have had road rage this week, uh, maybe even today on the way to church, um, or maybe you've had a conflict with a coworker, a boss, a friend that you haven't let go. So we're going to be talking about that today. So main point I want to get across today is addressing the reality of an offense, and if not dealt with, can completely ruin our lives. We will also talk about how to be free from past offenses and how to remain free. So we're talking about offenses. How do we identify and what does it look like? So Matthew 5, 21 through 22, this is Jesus speaking. He says, "'But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are in subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court.'" And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. This is Jesus talking. This is pretty serious stuff. So the Greek word for idiot in verse 21 is an Aramaic term of contempt called, everybody say, raka. Everybody say, raka. That sounds like a cuss word, doesn't it? Like It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting word, but it means empty one, empty head, foolish. All right? So... It sounds like something that, like you would say before you like throw down with somebody, like pop them in the face, and be like you stinking rocka. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a kind of an authoritative word. So, new G, New King James Version translation says, "And anyone who says you fool will be in dangers of the fire of hell." So, I personally know that I've said much, and I've called people much worse things than fool. All right, in my lifetime. So whenever I was, uh, I would say about nine or 10, uh, I went to this Christian school and my mom always brought me up to like watch my words. And she came across this verse and she said, you don't call anybody a fool. I mean, you don't really, you don't really hear that in main arguments. Hey, you fool. It's kind of like an old school kind of term and stuff. But there was this kid named Patrick that was in my class. He was on the, on the, on the recess, play, uh, he would play in recess and all of a sudden he just called somebody a fool. And Kim Clout kind of rose up inside of me. Y'all know what I'm about to say? Hey, yo, hey, yo. And I literally said, I was like, I said, boy, you're going to hell. And he's like, what are you talking about? He said, the Bible says if you call somebody a fool, you're going to hell. And I remember him looking at me like I was, I had like three heads. Like, what is wrong with you? And uh, so, but it was something that I heard. And I was like, okay, I ain't calling nobody a fool. But I would, I would call people idiots. You know, other, some, some other things. So let's talk about where this, this starts, all right? So what starts as a thought doesn't stay as a thought, right? What starts as a thought, we end up being a word. And what starts as a word will turn into an action. Consequently, you act on your thoughts, right? So where do you think that offense originates? Your thought life, all right? All right. So the actions we choose to take in our lives always occur in our thoughts, in our heart first. So what do you think we need to make sure we guard closely above all else? Our hearts, our minds, all right? So Proverbs four twenty three says, guard, everybody say, guard your heart above all else. We need to focus on that, all right? For it determines the course of your life. Your thought life determines what you speak, but also it determines how you live life, how you see life, how you see others. so when Jesus was talking about the quote unquote hell in matthew five twenty two he was actually referring to a physical place called Gehenna. everybody say Gehenna, which is a local garbage dump where the locals actually burn trash so there was a smoldering fire that continuously burned there because they always had to throw away trash and stuff like that. So Jesus knew that the Jews could actually relate to this place because it was a well-known landmark, right? Um, and so what he was trying to get across to these Jews that you know, we could be living in a living hell in our heart as a result of unresolved conflict and anger and bitterness in our life. And also you can turn your workplace, your home, into a living hell by what you allow to access the gates of your mind and your heart, amen? So everyone has the potential to turn every relationship in your life into a garbage dump through the prison of offense, all right? So any demeaning name that you call a person, whether it be Raka or Fool or Idiot or Beep, 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 You know what I'm saying? Some of us, we've been guilty this week of calling somebody worse than all what I just mentioned. I can't even say it on the stage. All right. So it has the potential to plant an offense. It's a seed. It's just like faith, but in the opposite direction. It's a seed that can be planted into our heart and it can actually breed a cancerous torment inside of our lives. So the question I want you to ask yourself, and I've had to ask myself this, uh, all the time even in ministry have i locked myself in the prison of offense okay i think all of us need to ask that question so how does offense affect our life what an offense is when offense is not dealt with quickly it will fester like a cancer infecting every part of our life it affects the way you perceive others the way you perceive yourself and it affects the way you treat others so I think, uh, man, I can't remember his name. He said, some, uh, he was a counselor. He used to come to Victory Church a long time ago. What? Chip Judd. Chip Judd. I, mean, he, I mean, he had an amazing he, some Sometimes we, we view life through colored lenses and through our experiences and the hurt and the pain that we go through. We will see life. If you put a, a, a yellow um, pair of glasses on, everything is gonna look yellow. If you put a pink pair of glasses on, uh, everything is going to be perceived as, as, as pink. And so if we take on the lens of offense, we're going to think that everybody's out to get us. And so we're going to treat everybody with a defensive mechanism. I used to have this kid that come to my youth group. His name was Aaron. He's, he's passed away. Um, but he was bullied his whole life. And he started coming to youth ministry. And he started insulting people just right off the bat, right when he came in. And I, I looked at him, I was like, you okay, man? He's like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, I'm just, I'm just trying to trying to get people before, the, before they get me. And I was like, what? I, was just, I said, hold up, hold up, hold up. I said, I, I just want to let you know, this is a safe place. You don't have to do that. Because I'll make sure that that doesn't happen to you. And so he was so used to protecting himself and getting the other person before they got him so that he can kind of prove himself. And he had to realize, like, you, you know, you don't have to do that. So offense is a doorway in which the enemy can enter a person's life, all right? So Ephesians four twenty six through 27, it says, and don't let sin by letting, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Have you ever tried to like shut the door? Like you have a brother or sister or a cousin and stuff, and you like you slapped them and you ran through the bathroom and you're trying to close the door, and that cousin just like puts that foot right in there. And you, you could try as hard as you can to shut that door. You cannot shut that door. See, that's what the enemy is doing in our lives. If we if we hold on to offense, you know, may, we may not look at pornography, we may not cuss out somebody. But our heart is is angry with somebody and we've held resentment. So that's that foothold so the enemy can open that door and come right on in. So let's talk about uh, what the Life Application Study Bible Notes talk about this. This is really good. So it says, the Bible doesn't tell us that we shouldn't feel angry because everyone feels angry at, at some point. But it points out that it is important to handle our anger properly. If vented thoughtlessly, Anger can hurt others and destroy relationships. If bottled up inside, it can cause us to become bitter and destroy us from within. Paul tells us to deal with our anger immediately in a way that builds relationships rather than destroys them. If we nurse our anger, we will give the devil an opportunity to divide us. Are you angry with someone right now? What can you do to resolve your differences? Don't let the day end before. You begin to work on mending your relationship. So, today we live in an age. Uh, I'll just kind of go back to this. Like it, it says, like God doesn't get mad at us for getting angry. Okay, Jesus got angry, but he did not sin. When we hold on to anger, that's when, and when it controls us, and the way we treat other people. And the way we perceive ourselves, that's when it becomes a sin. That's where the doorway of the enemy comes right on in. So today we live in an age where everyone is offended by everything, all right? Our media only fans the flames. Have you noticed that? If you, you know, fans the flame of offense, and they get a ton of money in doing that, okay? Causing division in our country, uh, our households. And so maybe, like, you've posted something on social media, and, you know, and spent half the day arguing with somebody because they were offended by your post. That happened to me <laughs> about a couple of years ago. And I was, I mean, I was right and everything. I'll I just say I was right when I posted, but people didn't like my opinion and what I was standing up for, uh, the, the the rights of babies and, and, you know, when all that mess went. And so some of us, we may, on the other hand, you know, there are things that we think about like, man, what can I do today to tick off somebody? What can I post? What can I say to my my neighbor? What can I say to my friend? What What can I say to my coworker? What can I say to my wife that can really tick her off, okay? Do you struggle to be happy in life? Do you struggle to be happy in life? It may be because you're easily offended. All right, so I'm gonna take this thing right here. So some of us, are so busy pointing to someone else and we're really easily triggered by certain things that we're, we're easy to say, to point out the imperfections in other people. The pastor said he used to be this way when he was uh, not a believer. He would pick people apart. You come into the room, he, you know, oh man, his hair's all messed up and you know, your eye looks all crazy and one eye's going this way, one eye's going, hey, you know. <laughs> oh, forgive me. Uh, but we're so quick to point other people's flaws. I would say this too. We're very, we easily pick apart leaders. We easily pick apart celebrities because everybody's looking at them. We easily pick apart pastors. That's why I'm so, so careful of who I criticize as far as like lead pastors that fall into sin. I'm not the first one that's gonna be jumping on the bandwagon like, because I'm one of them. I don't want somebody picking me apart. And, but it's inevitable. If you're a leader, if you're a boss, anywhere in a CEO, you just open up yourself to be criticized. And you have to realize that in ministry, you cannot take offense to every little thing. Okay, because if you, if you do that, you will ruin your ministry and your influence on people. So some of us, we're just, uh, we're so busy pointing out other people, but we have no idea that we had this log sticking out of our eye, and we're just walking around like nobody can see it, and we're, I'm trying to do this, trying to hit people, trying to, do, I don't want to hurt people, but some of us, we're just whack, whack, and like people can see this in our, in our eyes is so people can, can see that you got this big old plank in your eye, but you're trying to pick apart other people and you hurt people by the way you act, by the way you treat people and your words. And if you just take a second and say, you know what, God, <sighs> self-reflect, I have some issues of my own. The reason why I lash out in, in anger towards people, the reason why I judge other people is because I've been hurt myself. Hurt people, hurt people. That's my main slogan. Hurt people, hurt people. So if you if you busy and say, God, I got this big, huge offense in my in my life and I've been hurting other people with it, you know what? You won't be hurting other people. You'll be recovering and helping yourself in, in, in a sense like helping other people around you. Amen. All right, but sometimes we have to take a second to say, Am I hurting other people? I have to do this all the time, especially in ministry. We have this book called Beta Satan. Uh, Us as a staff, we have to read this every year, and I'm actually reading through it myself. Um, So Matthew 7, four through five, it says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your own eye. So it takes a humble heart and a laying down of our own pride to realize the mistakes that we've made in our own lives before pointing out the mistakes in others. So I came uh, head to head with this about two, three weeks ago. Uh, First of all, my father-in-law is here for the first time in about a month. So thank God he is here. Uh, He's been going through a lot medically. Um, he had a, a surgery on the back of his neck, and he is here for the first time. I'm so happy to have you. He's, he's Daddy Mike to me. So. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, he was having some major surgery, outpatient surgery. Uh, he had to stay overnight, and uh, so we stayed all day uh, on Wednesday, and then we went home. And the very next day, Lindy had to take her mom to the hospital at about, and she had to be there at seven o'clock in the morning. And we live in Wendell and Rex is about 30 minutes away, including traffic, could be like 45. So we, ha- we kind of decided, I'm gonna take Evelyn to school, all right, and then Lindy would actually take her mom to, to see the doctor and stuff like that and to meet with the doctor at seven o'clock in the morning. So that means she had to get up really, really early. <sighs> okay, so she gets up about 4.30, five o'clock, and she gets a shower and she's coming out and she goes, Alexa, turn on the lights in the bedroom. All the lights come on. And I'm, I am I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, what? And she was, she was meaning to turn on her own light, which is on her side. And we got it programmed to say, you know, turn on one lamp. She did, okay, I'm correcting myself. She did try to do, turn on her own lamp and it ended up, turning all the lamps on. So I'm just like, babe, what are you doing? Why are you, even, why are you even turning on these lights? It's just like 5.30 in the morning. I got another hour and a half to sleep. Or hour, please, just like let me sleep. And so she goes, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And so I am I'm already waking up mad. So she goes in, she, you know, fixes her coffee and, and leaves. And I get up, well, <clears throat> I'm getting up, getting my coffee, and I'm having to get Evelyn ready, which I'm not used to doing because Lindy always does that. I get her coffee. We got a routine. And we, guys, and we guys have a routine in the morning. And when it's messed up, you're just not in a good mood. So I go down, fix my coffee, and I'm looking for my keys. And I look down, and I don't see my keys anywhere. And I'm like, you know what? Daggone it. Lindy done took my keys too. So I called Lindy and I was like, hey, where's the, where's the keys at? Where's the keys at? And uh, she goes, oh. And she's all the way to, she's almost all, all the way to the hospital. And she goes, I'm so sorry. She's like, I, I've got the keys in my purse. And I was like, are you serious? So I have another attitude. And I'm just, I'm fuming on the inside. And I was like, how the heck am I supposed to get Avalon to, to school? I got to get to work. I got all these things I got to do. And I'm just, I'm fuming. And then I, after I get coffee, I have quiet time. So I go upstairs and I got Avalon, you know, got her breakfast. I'm sitting there having my quiet time. And the Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? You've done the same thing. You've forgotten your keys. You've gone off and done the same thing. And, she's, and he's like, why? He said, why are you so mad? Don't you realize that she's going through a lot with her dad? She's never had, to really had it, like her dad's never had serious surgery, and you're sitting here getting mad at her a freaking light. And I was like, <sighs> so Holy Spirit's dealing with me. I don't want to apologize, but I, look, I said, babe, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I, I, my attitude was wrong. I shouldn't have been huffy and puffy towards you. I'm really, really sorry. And, da, 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 da. and then she calls me, and she's like, oh! Ah! I mean, that's kind of like, that's my interpretation of it. (laughs) And uh, she goes, you have no idea what your apology meant to me. And I was like, oh, oh. She's like, even on the way to the hospital, she was taking a wrong turn and she had to stop at an exit right here. And there was a police officer that went up to her and just fussed her out because she was going in the wrong lane. And she gave it back to him. And uh, (laughs) I was proud of my baby. But she said, I was having the worst morning, like one decision after another decision. And she says, it's so good to know that your husband has your back, even though he's messed up, but he's realized his his screw ups. (laughs) And we started the day off a little bit better, but sometimes it takes you, and the Holy Spirit has a way of just like, throwing you off of your little throne that you put yourself on. And you gotta realize sometimes you've made the same, sometimes we're mad, over other people's mistakes because we've done the same thing. And we're mad at other people because you're like, man, I know exactly what you've done. I know exactly what you're thinking. And we get so angry and we got to set our pride down, set our anger down, and sometimes just go to that person and, and apologize. And so, I, I mean, that was kind of humorous, but also it's something that, you know, we, we really have to deal with on a daily basis. If we don't, left, if we don't get it checked, honestly, it could have seeded it uh, a, a bitter root in my heart that affected the rest of my day, Okay. So so I personally have to stay conscious of this at all times, especially in ministry. My motto is, pastors always taught me this, is have an alligator skin with a teddy bear heart. Basically, have thick skin, don't let every comment and all criticism get to you, because guess what? In ministry, you're gonna have, you're gonna have people just don't like you, just don't like you. Don't like the way you look, don't like, don't like the way you talk, and criticize everything about you, and you gotta, you gotta still love them with a teddy bear heart. So Titus 3.2 is always, always in my mind. They must not slander anyone and must not avoid, avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. All right, so this is much easier said than done, all right? That's why God has to be the one working the inside of you. You can't do this on your own. All right, so if you want to make it easier to stay happy in life, make it harder to stay offended, plain and simple. And it's only possible to be, how about this? Do you think that it's possible to be unoffendable? Amen, right? I believe, I believe so. And it's something that God has to work inside of you. It's not something you can just kind of build up immunity on your own, like, I am not gonna be offended. no you will fall flat on your face. And sometimes it will look really bad if you try to do it all on your own because you're going to look stupid, okay? If it is possible, be unoffended, okay? And this book right here is a perfect book to have in your repertoire reading at least once a year. I would say maybe twice a year if, you, if you're dealing with a lot of offense, all right? So this is called John Bevere, John Bevere's Bait of Satan, Okay. So the strategy of 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 an offense let's talk about that Satan's only reason for existence is to bring destruction and bring as much of it as he possibly can John 10:10 10, 10. It says the thief comes what's that next word Oh uh, only his only purpose is to bring division his only purpose is to steal Kill and bring as much mayhem in your life as possible. Are you allowing that in your life, all right? His strategy is bringing division between people. Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So his target is our homes. If he has our homes, he can get into our churches. Guess what his tactic is? through just one single offense. So I've actually seen this before my eyes. Uh, I grew up in a church and there was division. We had a pastor every four years. So whenever I came to Victory, I was like, he's been here for how many years? This year will be 30 years. I was was brought up in, (sighs) if the the pastor didn't preach what the board wanted, they voted him out. And so he was subject to the people that he was trying to please instead of pleasing God. So I'm so glad that we have a pastor that's not subject to that. He's gonna preach the word. He's gonna speak the truth. But I grew up witnessing division on every level. There was actually death threats in the offering bucket to pastors and the pastor's wife. It got to that point, y'all. So... I want to say that like if he can get into our homes, if he can get into our lives, he can get to our churches. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to bring division in ministry. He wants to bring division between best friends. He wants to bring division among peers. And especially he wants to bring division in in husbands and wives. So if you have been married maybe one year, raise your hand. Two years. Okay, three years. Who Who is like a newly married? Can I get y'all to come up here? I want I to embarrass you. Give it up. Get up, Give it up for Gary and Jody. Come on up here. Y'all, y'all don't have to speak at all. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I just want to do an illustration. Can y'all stand like right here? Y'all, y'all love Gary. Y'all love Jody. I love y'all so much. Can y'all hold hands like you love each other? Because you really do. All right. So, see the enemy is not going to be happy until he... Brings division. Y'all can separate. He's not gonna be happy until he does this right here, all right, between a husband and wife. But also marriage is a perfect depiction. I know y'all trying to, st- ah! You're ruining my illustration! <laughs> marriage is a perfect de- depiction of Christ in the church in Ephesians 21 through 25. So what you see here is what the enemy wants to do, not only in marriages, but also in the church, okay? As a whole, in every relationship in our lives, especially the relationships so close to your heart. All right? So the enemy doesn't come in with like this red suit, like the pastor says, in a pitchfork. He's like, I'm here to divide. <laughs> yeah. No, he's got a tactic. He is smarter than us, and we got to be... <laughs> I crank myself up sometimes. But he's not, he's not going to come in announcing, I'm here to divide you. Because if, he, if, if we knew that he was coming to divide, we would, we would probably band together and prevent him. But So if we gotta be aware that he's coming in as a thief and he's slick, all right? He comes in strategically and undetected through something small like a single offense, a single thought for you to brew on. And then it will start to grow, all right? So my next point is no one can make you more angry or hurt you worse than the people closest to you. Okay, And I want to read something really quick that I came across this morning in, uh, in Beta Satan. Y'all doing great, y'all. Hey, they, they went back to each other. Okay. All right, so in Psalm, this is David speaking, Psalms 55, 12 through 14. It says, uh, most often it is a fellow believer who has hurt them. This causes the offense to feel like a betrayal. Okay, David says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in throng. So this is like David and his best friend, people that he was, the ride or die, people that he was, was putting his whole confidence in that they betrayed him. So David knew exactly how this felt. And so the very things, that it could be a husband, could be a wife, could be a best friend, could be a partner in ministry, could be whatever is close to your heart, that, the enemy is gonna try to drive a wedge in between that. And I've seen marriages and friendships that I never thought in a million years end in utter turmoil. Not just breaking up, but I'm talking messy breakups. So with marriages, not only is the husband and wife affected, but now you have innocent children involved or a child involved in the process that's stuck in the middle of this madness and they're thinking it's their fault. How did you get here? How did it get here? It happens through one offense at a time, one plank at a time. Psalm of Solomon says, in, uh, "Song of Solomon 2.15, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards and our vineyards that are in bloom. In marriages, God puts two people it makes them one, right? The enemy's job is to actually make two instead of one. Okay? You guys give it up for Gary and Jody. <laughs> Don't get too comfortable. I'll we'll call you right back. They had no idea I was going to do that. I like I like the shock factor. All right. So Next is how to get out of this prison of offense. All right, so i talked about it, what it looks like. So how do I get out of this offense? Let's go to Matthew five twenty-two through 24. It says, therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift. So some of us are wondering like where is God in my life? I've prayed, I've asked God to do things in my life and I just cannot seem to get through to him. I don't feel like his presence is in my life anymore. So it may be because you have a root of offense in your life. That the only thing like the only time you go to God and you know you're 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 thinking you <laughs> the only thing you can think of is how mad you are with this person or these this group of people. And it could be a blockage from hearing from God and also receiving from God. So this verse is basically saying that we cannot properly connect with God when main, the main relationships in our lives are dysfunctional and are filled with offense, hatred, bitterness. In 1 John four twenty, it says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see, how can we love God? Whom we cannot see. In Matthew 5.25, it says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary. It's not talking about Satan, even though some people can like, be used by Satan, but it says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. How many of you have ever been taken to court? Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. So settle offenses quickly. Don't wait for it to blow over because blow over, it won't blow over. It will just, it, you, can, you, can sweep a, you can sweep it on the rug, but eventually that, 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 that mess is gonna pile up and it's gonna be this lump in this rug. It's still gonna be there. People are gonna be tripping over it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Address it. Ephesians 4.26, in your own anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. The longer offense goes unsettled, the more hell it brings in your life. And it will totally ruin it. Okay? Uh, Matthew 5 26. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. That that may look like going to court paying alimony, paying divorce court, someone suing you for every last penny that you own because of an offense, some, some silly squirrely thing that went on. And then it mounts up into, into this, this case and you're going to court and you're spending all your money on something that was this big, okay? Do you think it's possible that the very one you call your lover, your spouse, your best friend, in five years from now could be your worst enemy? If you don't learn how to deal with offense quickly, this can easily happen. So I'm gonna call the couple back on up. Give it up for them again. So how does, how does this represented in a, in a couple and in relationships? Y'all can still stand right there. Um, so how offense operates in a couple, words said unintentional or said in a, in a moment of pain, How many of you guys have been there? You've said words, almost like in a toothpaste. Once you get that toothpaste out, you can't suck it back in, you can't put it back in. It's said, so those words hurt, okay? Always bringing up what they don't do, okay? Unmet expectations by that other person. Unexpressed unmet expectations. Communication is very vital in friendships and relationships. And if we're not communicating our true feelings, the enemy's just gonna put some ideas in there and he's gonna have fun. He's gonna have so much fun with it. So, examples it could be birthdays. In one family, birthdays are a big deal. In another family, it's never celebrated. And so, the, the person that you marry or that person that you're in a friendship with, if you don't ever celebrate their birthday, they're gonna feel offended. They don't, they're gonna feel that you don't think, you think less of them. In one household, either mom or dad handled the finances and there's an unexpressed expectation for your spouse to follow suit or buying things without communicating. That used to be a big sore spot with me and Lindy. And the, the, the thing is that they would try, hey, I bought it on sale. I bought it on sale. I'm like, it could have been free if you didn't buy it. <laughs> I'm just, so that, that something, that's something me and her have worked out and we're doing so good in that. But that used to be a sore spot, like just buying some big things without telling the other person. That could be a very sore spot. Snarky and condescending comments towards others will tear a relationship and tear a person apart. So passive aggressive behavior is like nails on a chalkboard to me. If you don't like me, just tell me you don't like me. Just stop being with the, the whole jabbing, just tell me. What we don't realize is that One offense after another, when not dealt with, gradually builds a literal fence between one another. So every offense that is placed, sometimes we hold on to to a stake and we, man, that expectation, we nail it into the ground. Now just imagine I had like 20 of these and you're taking and you're jabbing this one and you keep jabbing and jabbing and eventually you're gonna build a fence all the way around you. And then the other person is gonna do the same thing. And so you live in the same household but live completely different lives because you've built the, that border, which is exactly what the enemy wants. Or you're working in, in, in a, with a coworker that you have an ought against, and you build that fence. Every time they come in, you give them the silent treatment. You don't talk to them. What the, 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 the times you used to hang out, you used to share the word with each other, you don't do that anymore because of that offense. And then, see, the enemy loves getting people isolated. That's why we have small groups, y'all, so you can talk things out. We have a great, uh, um, a great course coming up. It's called Breaking the Cycle. Search for significance. That's gonna come afterwards. <laughs> but if you're dealing with these thoughts, these annoying thoughts, and these, this unforgiveness lifestyle, there's help for you to talk things out. We're gonna bring it up um, and sign up for that. If you're dealing with that, like there is healing for you, okay? Um, signs of offense, starting to avoid each other. Giving the silent treatment, that's some, sometimes the hardest thing is just not being able to talk to somebody. Um, becoming angry easily over something that's so small, okay? For marriages, eventually that one union becomes two separate individuals like this. And you can live in the same household, like I said before, but you're just roommates with kids. So thank you guys so much. Y'all were awesome, Thank you. They got a strong marriage. I just want to let you know. So how to be free from offense. Um, Let's talk about how Jesus dealt with offense. In Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Jesus forgave us and promised that he will never bring up our offenses again when he becomes the Lord of our life. Isn't that so just wonderful? Just to think about that you serve a God that he has supernatural ability to. that whenever you confess your sins to him, that he doesn't throw it in your face anymore. And he's a loving father. He's a loving savior. He, he is eager, so eager to forgive you and have that relationship with you. So no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've backstabbed him or other people, if you go with a humble heart and say, God, I have totally messed up with this person, with you, I ask that you forgive me. And he says, I promise not to bring you bring that up anymore. Okay, the enemy might try to, because the enemy sometimes likes to show himself as an angel of light. So he may present himself like, all oh, this, God hates you. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. That's... Another tactic of the enemy of self-condemnation. Because some of you guys are dealing with offense and unforgiveness in yourself. and You haven't forgiven yourself. So that person that you're holding in contempt and you're holding into prison is you. And sometimes that's the hardest person to forgive. All right? Um, this, this is something I just kind of came across. So some of us are self-appointed archaeologists. <laughs> we dig and bring up the past on a daily basis to the ones closest to us to hold on to that offense done to us. We're digging up that past. Anything we can find, any text message, anything in the past, any words that were spoken two or three years ago, we can bring that person. Anytime the argument comes up, you remember what you did. You remember that you did this and you bring it back. Even though that thing has been settled, you still bring that thing up. That's a, that's a, that's a sign of offense. That's a sign of unforgiveness. That's a sign of unforgiveness. So uh, Jesus is the prime example of how we need to deal with offense. And out of everyone in history, Jesus had every right to have an offense or a fence, a barrier between us as his creation and him. Because we backstab him all the time. But Jesus is, is, he's like, I I don't want to, I don't remember this. I don't want to, I don't want this to ruin our relationship. So right now I I, I choose to forget it. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And he's a loving father that wants to forgive us. So Colossians 3, 13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So Martin Luther said, uh, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can't keep the devil from suggesting thoughts, planting seeds, but you can choose to not dwell on them or act on them. Okay. The enemy wants to drive that offense deeper and deeper into your heart. The deeper it gets in you, the more it controls you. Sometimes a person that offended you have, has passed away. So you really can't seek, uh, you can't seek forgiveness. And you can't actually talk to them. Or you have a, a party that, that doesn't want to talk. They don't want to settle things. You still have to take it before the Father and say, Father, Help me, help me with this offense. Help it not to be like cancer on the the inside of me that ruins my relationship with you and others. You you gotta take it before the Father. Sometimes the person, like I said, is unwilling, and then sometimes it's holding on offense toward yourself, like I said before, learning how to let go of things that you've done. So how to react to an offense. Number one, confront the person that, if you need to, confront the person in love. Don't be going, let me tell you what you did to me. Just say, say, God, help me to control my anger. And I pray that I would go at it in love the way that you want me to go. Because if you go in with guns blazing, it's, a, it's an equal and opposite reaction. If you go in with gun blazing, you can expect guns blazing to back at you. So say, Holy Spirit, help me to deal with this in a way that pleases you, in the way that you would. And so you need to be firm. You need to say, this offense was done to me. It was not okay you took advantage of me, or this was legitimately done to me, and I want to work things out. Listen, why did you, tend to, why did you do that? It's because sometimes we don't realize what people are going through. We have no idea that they, were, they, they just lost a loved one, and the reason why they're acting out in anger is because they have inner tor- turmoil, and they're reacting because they're hurt. And so, f- in, in a sense, try to figure out where they are, Um. And then number two, ask God to help you to let go of that offense and never bring it up again. Ephesians 3.20, this is a very important one. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So you will not be able to forgive, forgive others on your own and let go of, of offense done to you and, and unforgiveness on your own. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you. And let this be a you and Holy Spirit thing that you eke out, okay? So a sure sign that you have let go of an offense is when you are able to think, when that person and when that group of people comes up in your mind, that you only think good thoughts. That you can only think good thoughts about that person. So releasing releasing and forgiving an offense, quote unquote, is like setting a prisoner free only to find out that, The prisoner was you. Louis Smead said that. And then Nelson Mandela said, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. Pretty dumb, right? They're not not a dumb person. I'm not calling them dumb. And then Stephen Furtick, which is uh, one of my, I really love Elevation Church. He said this quote. He says, an offense is an event, but living offended is a decision. It's a choice to stay there. If you're choosing to stay there, that's on you. And then I'm going to end with a couple of verses. Romans 12, 9 through 13. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really genuinely love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice. Rejoice. In our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Another translation says, almost be in competition of how much you can love on each other. Like, oh, no, I, I did a good deed today. You, I, I just want to let you, I'm going to outdo you. I'm going I'm I'm to buy this person a burger. They love burgers. I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to outdo you today on how, how, how much kindness I'm going to show towards other people so almost like being a competition of how much love you can show towards other people, right? That should be a good competition, right? So uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. It says, if I could speak all the language of the earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I wish I hadn't. Uh, he's not there. I was, I was going to say, Rocky, just hit the, the cymbal. That's, that's pretty annoying. Um. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing, nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, you gotta realize that these disciples were sacrificing their body. They were, they were being lit on fire because of the persecution. But if they didn't have love for the persecutors that were persecuting them, they were dead. I mean, just think about that. It would be nothing if they didn't love their persecutors. That's exactly what Jesus did. If you think about that, that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, Father, forgive them because they're seeing through a filter. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If they really truly knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. They're seeing through a hurt eye. And sometimes we gotta, we gotta see people through the eyes of Jesus. See people hurting. Not be so quick to judge. Because we don't know what everybody's going through. And when we're so quick to judge people, whew, we miss an opportunity to show the love of Christ to other people. We, we miss that opportunity of a miraculous encounter that Jesus could work through you. So if you're dealing with an offense and it's, it's set root inside of you, and you've recognized that, we're gonna, we're gonna try to deal with that today. So I, want, I wanna leave you with some action points. Number one, be honest with yourself and admit the offense you have done towards another person or even yourself. Number two, also ask God to reveal to you any one that you have offended either intentionally or unintentionally. Number three, ask God to work on your heart and empower you to forgive the offense that you may have towards other people. And number four, Settle things quickly, all right? Don't let things fester. If you have an offense towards someone, go and settle it quickly today. Don't waste no time. Don't let an offense linger. Ephesians 4, like we said, and don't let sin by, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Just remember that. If you're, if you're in content with somebody, that's, another, that's a foothold that the enemy would love to come in and just totally dismantle your life and destroy your life. Amen.